It was a cool Saturday evening in late August 1887 when Catherine Scragg, a young school teacher in Shrewsbury, was travelling home from a holiday in Stoke-on-Trent, her family home. The train left at 6.40 and on the whole it was an uneventful journey with a change at Stafford. Catherine filled the time by reading a copy of Titbits, weekly magazine full of dramatic, sensational and amusing stories. And then the train pulled in to Wellington. The other passengers in her third-class carriage got off and she was left alone. A rough-looking, muscular man walked in and Catherine was instantly uneasy. She put her head down, pretending to read the magazine. This train is not going to stop until it gets to Shrewsbury. Eleven miles, he said. A feeling of horror then crept in as he took the seat next to her and told her he was going to see his wife. With that, he put his arms around her waist. Terrified, she threatened to call for help. She didn't know it, of course, but his name was George Grice, a notoriously violent man who, just 12 months beforehand, had been declared legally dead. He punched her hard in the face, blood splattering everywhere. Grabbing her by the throat with his iron fists, he tried to wrestle her to the floor and pull up her clothes. But Catherine, on her knees, fought back with superhuman strength and managed to fight her way to the carriage door. In the neighbouring compartment, Mr Alexander Graham, a barrister from Dogpole Chambers, heard the commotion and looked out of his window. He saw a bloodied Miss Scrag opening the door and screaming for help. She climbed out of the train, which was still moving rapidly, her torn dress flapping in the wind. Her hat blew off as they raced through up to Magna. She stood on the step, clinging to the side of the train, with her arm gripping the inside of the carriage door window. Grice followed, also climbing out, and he grabbed her and tried to push her off. Catherine was about to jump, but saw Mr Graham shouting out of the window, telling her to hold tight. She held firm and shuffled along the outside footplate. Our hero barrister reached out and clasped her wrist, pulling her into the carriage. Bewildered and on the verge of collapse, he sat her down. The attacker clambered along the footboard towards them. Grice poked his head in through the carriage, out of the wind. Now, Mr Graham had a walking stick. He grabbed the top of it and pulled, revealing a narrow sword, which he swished in Grice's face and yelled at him to get back. The train was running late and so going faster than usual as it headed towards the station. After a couple of minutes, Grice edged back along the footplate to the scene of his attack. The train pulled in. He looked towards Shrewsbury and prepared to jump. He launched himself onto the start of the Abbey Foregate platform. He tried to run as his feet hit the floor, but he was going too fast. He ploughed face first into the corner of a plate layer's hut. The train pulled in and came to a halt. It was five past eight and Mr Graham called for help. The inspector and a Dr Rope who were on the train came to assist. They saw Scrag covered in blood, bruised, swollen and very agitated. Inspector Baxter checked out the neighbouring cabin and saw the bloodied mess that was left and a splattered copy of Titbits. 
The police searched the area and could see streaks of blood stretching along the outside of the train where the chase had taken place. Further along the platform, they found Grice. He was lying face down, about six feet away from the track. They rolled him over, felt a pulse and heard him groan. His trousers were unbuttoned. So who was Grice? Well, he was arrested for assault and attempted murder and taken to the hospital where he recovered overnight. A full investigation into this outrageous crime and its perpetrator was underway. Detective Sergeant Morris discovered that Grice was a puddler, specific role in ironworking, and he was from Tipton, who'd been working at the Castle Ironworks at Hadley. Further investigation revealed that some years earlier, he'd been a long-term inmate at Staffordshire Asylum, where he'd stayed for four to five years. After he came out, he joined the army and was sent to India. He got the fever and was sent home and discharged. He joined up again, but was kicked out when they discovered who he was. Following this, he spent his time tramping around the country doing odd jobs and was considered an eccentric character by the people who met him. Then, in a strange twist in 1886, just 12 months before the train attack, he was declared legally dead. He'd been working at an ironworks in Abakan, Monmouthshire, when he suddenly disappeared from his lodgings. Days later, a man's body was found by one of the pits. He'd suffocated from the surrounding ash fumes. At the coroner's inquest, the body was identified as George Grice by his landlady and fellow lodgers, and he was buried as such. Grice's family were also told of what had happened. So it must have come as a total shock when weeks later he turned up at their home in Tipton, very much alive and well. He moved to Wellington and in the days before the attack, he lodged at a house on High Street while he worked at Hadley. He didn't make many friends and was known to steal food from the boys who also worked at the ironworks. But he decided the work was just too hard. Told a colleague he wanted to quit. On the evening of the assault, he'd gone into the station hotel at Wellington and entered the billiard room but the landlord saw him and he was kicked out for being rough-looking. Outside, he started repeatedly kicking the smoking room door in temper, but was warned to stop. In a foul mood and his mental state in question, he then boarded the Euston Express when it pulled into the station opposite. He stepped aboard, found his victim and committed the brutal outrage. <laughs> The story made headlines and front pages across the country, and such was the interest in the case that a huge crowd gathered at the Shire Hall for a final court hearing in November. Grice stood in the dock with a horsehair rug draped around his shoulders. He gazed vacantly at the barrister's table as the charges were read out, and he paid no attention when the court was told that he was on trial for unlawfully assaulting Miss Scragg with intent to rape. At two previous court hearings in September and October, Grice had denied all knowledge of what had happened. Scragg, a teacher from St Michael's School in Shrewsbury, had also had her time in the witness box. 
and described how Grice had attacked her. Punching her in the face, grabbing her and throwing her to the floor and trying to strangle her. She explained how she'd fought back and escaped by climbing out of the train and clambering along the outside. Alexander Graham, the barrister, had also given evidence. And he said how he'd heard Catherine's screams and seen her bloodied face and neck as she clung to the side of the train as it raced through the countryside. He recalled how once he pulled her to safety into his carriage, he drew his sword and threatened her attacker before he jumped from the train. The station master, inspector and doctor all gave evidence too, piecing together everything that had happened, leaving the court in no doubt about the events of that day. And that the man in the dock, Grice, was the man who committed the awful crime. When it was Grice's turn to defend himself and the charge was put to him that he'd tried to ravish his victim against her will, he simply said he knew nothing about it. When asked if he had any witnesses, he said yes and called God to the stand. A doctor's report was ordered. The man who examined him was an appropriately named Dr Arthur Strange, who was head of Bicton Asylum, which became Shelton Hospital. At the final hearing in November, the grand jury was gathered. They were being asked not if he'd committed the crime, but if he was fit to stand trial. Dr Strange told them he is insane and explained that Grice knew he was being charged with something but had no idea what. He was declared unfit to plead and detained at Her Majesty's pleasure. This wasn't the end of the matter, however, and the judge, Mr Solway, forwarded the case to the Home Secretary, Henry Matthews. He brought it up in Parliament and it sparked a national debate over whether women-only carriages should be introduced. With a view to improve safety on the railways, the judge also made recommendations that the ticket collectors must take strict care that no men were allowed to hop onto trains at the last moment when women were present. He also commented that in future, girls must really take care of themselves and not enter a carriage where there were no other females. In conclusion, the sympathy of the court was entirely with the young girl and he praised Miss Catherine Scragg for her bravery and heroic defence in the face of such an awful and brutal attack. <laughs>